I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing, rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. All right, we're here today with Ditch Digger CEO with my, my, our producer and friend Chris and my buddy Quentin from True Mentors. And we got a, we got a buddy of mine here today that's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a, just a blast of a guy. Man. And, I've uh, known Ryan for about uh, pushing nine, ten years now, probably, probably ten years now. 2009, you got in YPO. I met you early on there, and uh, and uh, I love a lot of things about Ryan. I love his competitive nature. I love uh, being able to kick his butt once in a while and some <laughs> stuff that we compete in. But then, of course, I got to take it too because he's pretty competitive and pretty good at a lot of stuff. But uh, Ryan. Welcome today, buddy. Welcome to be here. Welcome uh, to be here with us, and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. And uh, Ryan uh, came today with a friend of his, Jacob, and, and Jacob is uh, uh, Isaacson, right? Is uh, working with operations with the uh, the family foundation that you're going to be building, right? Correct. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. And you know, you're you're going to hear from Ryan and his journey in business, his entrepreneurship journey. The competitive nature in him that's that's driven him to six, some really cool success in a dirty business, which I love dirty businesses because I think that's where uh, you know we bring technology and intelligence into dirty businesses. It's easier to be successful than um, than being a heart surgeon or something like that, right? Being an entrepreneur in the, in, in the uh, as a heart surgeon probably a little more difficult than trucking and paving and things that we're we're all about. So. We uh, maybe maybe we're, all, we're we're after low hanging fruit and and, and uh, dirty businesses, but uh, we got a lot in common there. So, so Ryan, I want you to uh, you know introduce yourself and uh, and, and uh, we're going to ask for your kind of an elevator of your history from the time you were a kid to the time you entered the business world. Uh wow. Let's yeah. Let's just start with that. Um, I just I've been in the logistics business pretty much my whole career since I got out, got out of college I worked for a company called American Backhaulers uh, who start, was started by an entrepreneur named Paul Loeb and uh, Paul sold his business about four months into my tenure of two and a half years of being there wow. uh, for a lot of money and a publicly traded company took over and they changed our compensation program 
about three different times over that 18 months, all for the worse, while the guy next to me was uh, looking at ESPN for hours on the day. I'm sitting there grinding, and then they're cutting, here's 10 grand, here's 10 grand. So uh, eventually it was sort of like, I don't know what's going to come tomorrow. And uh, we started, you know, we started thinking about the idea of starting a business, and we were like the seventh or eighth spinoff of this company. And they had never like sued or no one had come after them for like a non-compete in such a strong level. And after like uh, about 12 months, 18 months, they, C.H. Robinson was suing me. And uh, so we started dealing with, you know, the stresses of being an entrepreneur. So you spun off in about two two years? Yeah, I started in like August of 99 and we started our business in January of 03. So it was a quick tutorial. I would say that I worked as hard if not harder than anybody else in the business there's a few people that might have been crazier than me but being the competitor i was i quickly became like one of the top two three sales guys in a pretty big organization mm-hmm. and uh basically said oh wait you i can make as much money as i want as long as i'm willing to work hard i get a commission and uh yeah so then they changed the compensation a couple different times they're taking money here taking money there and uh, it started to get pretty frustrating because I was, you know, the rules just continued to change. And it was like, hey, it's not like, hey, next in three months, we're going to change our compensation. It's like, hey, next week, we're going to change your commission program. It's like, wow. So, so they lost, I guarantee you, they lost over, well over a billion dollars of productivity in just mismanagement of people. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're like, you're, you're a young guy at this point, what, 26 or something no. like that? Oh, when I started the company? No, no, no. When you, yeah, when you started your company, you, left, you made the decision to run off on, you know, go off on your own yep. um, at 25 years old. What gave you the confidence? I mean, I, I know your competitive nature and all that, but what gave you that? What, what, what created that in your younger age, your younger, younger days at home or whatever? Tell me about that. Cause you're you're a gritty guy and, and and you know you didn't grow I don't know that you grew up in a in a gritty environment right? Uh, no, I think I grew up actually in a very gritty environment. Actually, tell, I tell me about that. that. Well, um, my dad traveled a tremendous amount growing up. He was gone. You know, I would call us. Uh, we built a nice house in Bannockburn, but I think that for all intents and purposes, my dad we were house poor mm-hmm. in the yeah. sense that we were sort of he was always chasing it to pay for it and. Uh, my mom was a bit of a handful, I would say. I'm sorry, mom, if you're listening, but uh, <laughs> she was tough or she, what? Oh yeah, she was tough. Whether it's throwing shoes across the kitchen island or whatever it was going to be, because I said or did something wrong, I was wait till your dad comes home. I'm like, please let my dad come home. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I saw, you know, my, with my dad sort of being absent uh, a lot, I basically made my mind up that there was no way as a dad. That I would be absent, mm-hmm. so um, I worked as hard as I could, as fast as I could, to try to achieve a place where life was sort of up to me. Was your mom mom tough on you? Mom and dad tough on you as far as expectations uh, academically, athletically, anything like that? I mean, it, academics came out fast because so I was a pretty good student, and uh, like in eighth grade, going from I had a class of fifteen. I was in Bannockburn School, class uh-huh. of fifteen, kindergarten through eighth grade. I was like the point guard in fifth grade, the center in eighth grade. Mm. Uh, <laughs> So not a lot of competition, to say the least. Going up into a high school with 350 people that I was really enthusiastic, you know, to be social with. So football season, you know, two-a-day practices. This teacher basically said to me, the supervisor, guidance counselor said, hey, you shouldn't take this class. You should take this class. You shouldn't take this class. You should take this class. 
And I was like, I kind of felt challenged. Like, I'm like, no, you're wrong. Like, I can, I can do this. This isn't going to be hard. I'm going to prove otherwise. It was the biggest mistake <laughs> I had. Like, uh, in my first, my first biology test, the teacher basically gave, gave me a 21%. And basically wrote, this is BS on top of it. <laughs> and uh, so it was like I came to a conversation. My parents like were arguing with each other about uh, whether I should be able to drop that class so I could go into a good college or if I should see that class through because I made my bed and I should lie in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still wonder if my dad like purposefully took that took the side of argu- the argument and then lost so that it seemed like my mom was being supportive of me. Uh-huh. But uh, needless to say, I dropped the class, uh-huh. and uh, my reason for getting into college was probably decent test scores and uh, an upward curve is what they called it. So All my right. grades got better, um, but I hated high school. I mean, it was really not a fun. I was really happy to get into college. Let's put it that way. Any uh, sports and stuff in high school? Uh, I dabbled. I played. A, I played. Uh, <laughs> so I played football. Uh-huh. Uh, my first two years. What, what high school is that? I went to Deerfield High School. Okay, yeah. And uh, I ended up, after my freshman year's football season, I, I, I was a decent basketball player. Not as good as, obviously, you, Quentin, but I was a decent basketball player. I thought I probably could have made the A or the B freshman team, but my parents uh, made me focus on my grades uh-huh. instead. So no sport for winter of my freshman year, and then I – uh, was in the pool because I had the flu for a week. This is just show you when you talk about you know beating me and different things. Watch out for me in the pool. You might be surprised. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was making up gym sessions after I was, had the flu for like a week. And uh, after school, and the swim coach sees me in the pool. He's like, have you ever considered swimming? I'm like, well, I didn't really think I was that good. He's like, would you like to finish the season with us? So I like, I'm like, why don't you let me make a phone call? So I called my parents and uh, basically said, can I f- swim the last three weeks of the season? And uh, they're like, sure, why not? So I swam. This is how my dad tells the story. I swam like the 50 free and ended up winning the event. And then I swam the 100 free and I was out in front. And then I like, I ended up like taking third because I just died uh-huh. Like the, where my cardio was. The commitment was a whole different level. But it was uh, a short-lived swimming, uh, <laughs> sw- swimming <laughs> career. And then uh, played some tennis. I played tennis uh fairly successfully we ended up winning as a my senior year we won as a team and I was a good doubles player everybody was clean shaven and I was the guy that the coach made me like have a face full of hair made me jump rope before the like our warm-up and then he'd make me hit my serve as hard as I could at our opponents <laughs> to like intimidate yes intimi- <laughs> intimidating tennis so I see that yeah. you know, on the on the you know in, in hockey right but tennis yeah, I've yeah. never seen a lot of that you know football <laughs> you'll see that too right some of the toughest baddest baddest ass uh, you he know knew it was all I had I had to psych him out I hadn't the skill set wasn't but gonna tennis be yeah, yeah I love it I, I played tennis also and I played for I played for a school that was the worst tennis playing school in, in the conference maybe the state of Illinois and I was I was looked upon as pretty good in that team. See, world's tallest midget, uh, right? Here. That's right. <laughs> that's right. No, I only went to that school for freshman sophomore year, but I but I played a lot of tennis there and was one of the better players and on the worst team in the state, maybe. But but it was a lot of fun, and I you know I got definitely a little. It's a good a game because you win or lose on your own. It's you know not a so it's good to play team sports, but it's also really nice to you can't blame anybody else when you lose in a match of tennis, right? Yeah. Well, you're absolutely, and I, but I still did blame others. When I, could. <laughs> I, 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 what bothered me is I, you know, I played at Grant High School in Fox Lake, Illinois, and we played the North Shore teams, 
And these little son of a guns, these little Jewish guys, and, and big guys like you even, right? Jewish guys, I big guess, Jewish right? Big Jewish guys. Kicked our butts, man, just ripped me apart. I was a wrestler and football player, and I was competitive in both of those sports. But, man, I got ripped apart by these little Jewish guys in, 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 uh, in the North Shore. And, that, and, and afterwards, you know, I'd, I'd wanna, I'm like, man, I could kick this guy's butt otherwise, but, 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 but he just embarrassed me in this game of tennis, right? <laughs> it happened a lot. And it wasn't just the, the North Shore little North Shore guys. It was others, too. They, they all kicked back. But, it, but in practice at, at Grant High School, I was, I was pretty good. I, uh, <laughs> I believe it. Didn't go much further than that, though. But anyway, you know, ten, tennis, I, you know, great sport. But I mean, you're, also, you're also in a lot of stuff, dude. I mean, I, I played ping pong against you. I, I, I snuck past you there and had bragging rights for a little while. Then we, ra- we were at a racetrack one day. And uh, you got me by like one one hundredth of a second. I never haven't heard the end of that. Still, um, <laughs> golf. I can't touch in golf. You're a much getting better golfer there. You're than getting me. Getting close though. I'm getting better. Yes, I can't wait are. to play this this coming year because I'm going to kick your butt. There it is. Um, but but you know, competitive nature is is definitely in you in a big way, and, and and that's that's had a lot to do with your success. There's no doubt in my mind. Anybody I know you that's done business with you, friends of mine, mutual friends of ours that that speak so highly of you, um, you know, your competitive nature has driven you. Tell tell us about where you needed that competitive nature in business to start. Like when, you know, you get, you had this, tell, tell, go back to this time when you're getting this law, had this lawsuit against you when you first won your own. That'd be crazy for a young guy starting in business to have this pretty big company, kind of a behemoth company coming after you. Yeah. That was uh, again, like that 800 pound gorilla, but it, you know, it's, there's nothing better than a chip on your shoulder. Uh, my, you know, I was talking to my kid this morning when you were on the phone with me. Uh, we always bet. We always like to bet on the underdog. Because mm-hmm. why root for the favorite? That's yeah. not, there's no fun in seeing the favorite <laughs> win. Um, yeah, we, we got into a conversation with these guys at C.H. Robinson at one point. Uh, they sued me and one of my partners, but did and, but held lawsuit on the other partner, basically, and uh, sort of reserved the right of going back to that well. Mm-hmm. We're like, well, we can't really settle with you if you're not going to you know, let him go. So um, we said, hey, I said... So their general counsel, I'm like, hey, here's what I'll do. I won't call these 20 accounts because I knew who their accounts were. Obviously, mm-hmm. I was there. Yeah. And uh, he looked at me and he said, look, you have as much chance of closing any of those accounts as I do. And I mean, I was like, OK, you know, if that's how you want to start this, just find a way to piss me off and yeah. motivate me, inspire me to be better. So uh, we sat down with my dad's accountants. And explained our, our business plans, basically showed them projections of this is what happens if we don't do well, this is what happens if we do better, and this is if we can really maximize our bank. And uh, they looked at us and laughed, like literally looked at us like kind of snickering. And I was just like, wow, like you have no idea, like why, why, what's, what are you saying is crazy? Yeah. So, and my dad just discouraged and discouraged and discouraged me from leaving because I was making a lot of money at 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we didn't, there was no way, there was no turning back. And what was there to lose? If I fell on my face, you know, just start over, you know, it's, it is what it is. You'll never know what Starting you can with nothing can't makes do. it easy to, to, to gamble, to, to po- gamble. potentially gamble, to go back to nothing. <laughs> exactly. Right? You've been exactly. there before yeah. you, you breathed, you ate, you were, you know, healthy and had probably a great family, right? Yep. Exactly. I mean, you know, better than anybody, uh, a lot of leverage, you know, you got to just put the leverage out there and take a shot. You know, I think that a lot of people don't uh, appreciate the entrepreneur who does not make money until they really sell out, until they finalize like, hey, you know what, we're going to try and do something else. And uh, I think that, you know, now at 41, the last 16 years, I've sort of identified as the CEO of AFN. And uh, now I'm sort of like a, 
you know, a man, a man on a new plan, sort of trying to figure out who my team's going to be, a team of two right now, trying to, trying to work through uh, how we're going to attack what's next. So, so let's go back to the business at AFN. What, you know, what was your, what were your competitive advantages starting out, in, you know, from the, on your own like that, so small against the behemoths, right? What were your competitive advantages that made you different in order to get in the doors you did? When you know, when they laughed at you, they definitely laughed at you because they they saying, there's no way this guy's got what it takes to compete with us, right? <laughs> and what what did you know that you had that they didn't have? I think that. Uh I like working with people, and if I get the opportunity to speak to somebody and relate to that person, I think that there's a, a confidence that's built that I'm not going to let you down. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always sort of would say, "Hey, if you give me a chance, I promise I'm not gonna. I'm not. If I if I'm this persistent to get your business, what do you think I'm gonna let it go once I have the opportunity? There's no chance, you know. So I'm gonna be here. You're gonna call me." at three o'clock on a Friday and you're going to need something to get covered when your other carrier lets you down. And I'm going to say yes, and it's going to be expensive, but I'm going to get it done for you. And then hopefully on Monday, you'll remember, and then the prices will start to come down. So let's, let's play the game and see how it goes. So, so it was really just, you knew that you could serve better than, than you've seen the service Customer in the service. Past. Everybody's trying to automate everything. Press one, press two, press three. Give me a break. Let me talk to the same guy over and over again. Uh -huh. You know, I'm sitting here. I can't even get an American Express card right now until I have a new employee ID number. I'm like, I've been a good customer for 16 years. Uh -huh. You can't get me a credit card? It's, that stuff's crazy to me. That's what was it's going on. It's still going on. It's bananas. Really? All right. So, so when you when you think about uh, again that the the, the customer service you're able to give, was it just communicating and understanding your customers better than the competition? Was it was <clears> it relationships <throat> you built? What were you, you had a lot of honesty? Yeah. Honestly, everybody. Oh, I so got a driver that. got a flat tire. Driver broke down. This happened. That happened. It's like, look, man, he slept. He slept through his appointment. He'll be there in four hours. He's 120 miles away. I, I apologize. Mm -hmm. If it's like being at home. If I'm at home with my wife and I tell her she's wrong, do, where do I go with that? Am I <laughs> going to win that discussion? So it's convalesce. I, I'm so sorry. <gasps> How can you get mad at someone who's apologetic? Yeah, and, and unless it happens like well, often, right? It, it, but we we are literally we're our business has such a high level of service, uh -huh. and we killed them with kindness. We killed them with respect. We killed them with honesty. Mm -hmm. And so you can grow a business with that. The hard part today is there's a lot of businesses that are out there that don't make money, and somehow or another raise capital to support them and it's about as anti-capitalistic as you can see mm -hmm. i'm proud to say we ran 16 years of business we never lost money wow. never lost That's money awesome. every single year with the through a recession now we had to let people go we had to stop hiring we well, had to slow down our technology mm -hmm. but we were responsible and we always made money well and the, and the cool thing there is i know your industry and there's like you just you mentioned a minute ago lots of money pouring into the industry and companies are just growing to grow not making money so so your challenge to make money in an environment when your competition's giving stuff away it's a big deal well they're and and getting given money at 100 billion dollar market caps and losing a billion dollars a quarter and everybody's excited about that and wow. i'm watching truck drivers or taxi driver owner operators that are you know immigrants who literally their business have gone to zero mm -hmm. not because they're disruptive you know uber's not disruptive mm -hmm. they're just charging you a third or, or, or half right. so as a consumer yes that's great but all those drivers inevitably you know what's their business going to look like when 
you keep saying yes to the, to companies like that. Well, I got to tell you, uh, you know, Tesla's an example right now. I mean, Tesla's got a ton of funding all over the place, right? And I love my Tesla. But guess what? The service was amazing, the most amazing service I've ever seen in my life for the first couple of years. And it's gotten to be not so good lately. And I and I and I, I believe that uh, you know, it's still a good it's a great product, but but they need to get their service straight and and they got to a point where they had all this money pouring in, they were able to do all these things that the competition couldn't do because they were losing money. And now they're trying to make money. Now, in trying to make money, they got to go backwards and say, "Okay, wow, what, what do we get? What, how much are we giving away that doesn't make sense?" Right? Because I think they were giving a lot of stuff away that didn't make sense. And you know, I, I'd, I'd have, I need tires changed in my car. They would send a flatbed to my office and go, come and get it. They didn't have to do that. Hey, man, I'll just drive, drop it. By. No, no, we'll come and get it. They, they would drop another new Tesla for me. That doesn't happen anymore. And it, so that was like in, in being in business. I was like, "There's no way they can afford to do that." And, and now they can't afford to do that. And people are looking at them as, okay, they're, now they're not maybe as good as some of the other high-end car makers when it comes to service. Um, so I believe that that happens too, right? It's, well, it's got to be hard to sacrifice. As, as soon as you start to sacrifice customer service, I think that your business plan and model is in trouble. If you start with customer service, mm-hmm. you can't back that customer service right. down and expect that your client base is still going to be happy with you. And, and sometimes when it's ridiculous customer service, you set a precedent. And I think that that's that that's happened at this point with Tesla. I think they'll probably figure it out. But um, you know, in our business, same thing. We we want to set a, a crazy, crazy, crazy precedence in ridiculous customer service. But we need to stay in business because we're not raising you know millions and billions of dollars of capital to keep us afloat. So we need to make money too, right? And and I, I, so it's always that challenge of you know how do you give the greatest customer service and and build the best relationships. And and, and still make a profit, and 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 have customers that understand expect, that understand expect you to make a profit, right? right. They hope you make a profit. Sure. You, they should, yeah, because you want them to come back and replace your driveway after <laughs> after right. the potholes <laughs> form after being in a nice harsh Chicago winter. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we want them to think about us next time. Yeah, so. Ryan. One of the things I remember coming to your office when you were at uh, when you were at AFN and the culture and literally just the environment and the enthusiasm. And it's not just from you, literally from the person who is that individual talking to that truck driver, talking to them people about the what's going on. And um, you can see it that it's duplicated all the way through when it comes to quality customer service. Um, and I know a lot of people, especially those who are starting a business, the product is them, but as they start growing a team, they're trying to duplicate themselves into other people. How did you do that? How did you create the mindset to these associates, these teammates of yours to, you know, this is how I think about customer service and you should do that. What were some things you implemented while you were there? Because because you went from how many employees from to start yourself and a couple partners to, to how many? To yeah. what? Uh, a little over 260, I think. 260 people. Yeah. How did you do that? Uh, it, well, we went through a lot of teams, a lot of people, uh, in the beginning of it, you know, it was a lot of my friends, you know, that I trusted and support, you know, I would support them and they would support me back. And, um, another guy who started, started with us in the business. So there's three partners. And then our fourth guy left from CH Robinson and said, we said, we can't afford to pay you. He literally worked for like the first three months for nothing. So, you know, that they, we, I think that pe- people start to recognize, you know, what you're about and hopefully you lead by a positive example. And, you know, when we started, we were working from, we'd get up at 4.30 and drive from the city to Deerfield and uh, we'd be, you know, we'd be booking loads at 5.15 in the morning and then we'd be, we could be invoicing till 11 o'clock at night some nights. So it wasn't, it was not, uh, you know, that alongside of the idea of uh, windexing, the windows or 
taking the garbage out or vacuuming the floor or the guys that are have to change the role in the bathroom. I mean, it's it's literally we were you know it was that intimate and you can't give that sort of when you're 25 and you're you know you're literally shoulder to shoulder with these guys and it's it's all or nothing. Uh, you you build a I think you build a culture and then people sort of fall within that culture and if you're great from an HR perspective and understand reading talent, then that's great. But I, I would say that. You know, there's, I think there were over a thousand people who came and went from our company over those 16 years too. So that's, you know, a thousand plus failures in some way, shape or form where Mm. the connection didn't last the way that it needed to or should, or it was misread. And, you know, I do, I take every one of those failures personally. And, uh, I think that there's something to be said about having a big heart in business. Uh, it, you know, you get exposed, but at the same time, like it's it has positives and negatives like walking away from that business is hard um but a lot of people walked away from that business so i sort of felt i felt like that like i with four with four sons that i didn't have the ability to do both well Mm -hmm. so i knew i'd either have to really dig back in to go from what was about a 250 260 million dollar business to a 500 or 750 million dollar business in flying in the face of people that were raising cash and uh, investing with no bottom line, but just a strong top line. Mm -hmm. How do you compete with a guy who's got a strong top line and is investing billions of dollars in infrastructure? Eventually they'll trip and get it right. I I would think eventually they'll trip and get it right. I'm not sure if they will get it right, but eventually, you know, we got it. And and often they, they, they burn out and they, they, they're out of business and and they, you know, these investors lose a ton of dough. In the meantime, they've hurt a marketplace, right? I mean, yeah, I've seen that a lot of well. shell games. There's a lot of shell games in financial engineering, and uh, we as investors better be responsible and wise to who we're giving our money to because uh, there's not really a lot of great operators out there when 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 push comes to shove. Right. So you got so you uh, the the best way that you implemented was going just through a lot of failures. A lot of people realizing, ah, all right, well, we need to do better at this time and this way and all that other. Yeah, well, you start to, again, you, you change your, you know, we went from our first year we did about $9 million of revenue. Our second year we did $27 million of revenue. Our third year we did $48 million of revenue. Wow. And, you know, we're sort of popping, popping, popping. And uh, the person who got us to nine isn't the same person who's going to get us to 50, mm-hmm. isn't the same person who's going to get us to 100. And you're learning that. And you can only afford to pay so much, which means you can only afford so much talent. And you know we were prepared to talk about equity and things like that, but who was really going to drive the business to the next place? So uh, you just continue to invest, continue to find, try to find the right people. But meanwhile, you prom- you promote your friend, like you promote somebody over your friend or the guy who's been side by side with you, uh, and you explain to them, hey, you know you're going to learn a tremendous amount from this person, and hopefully that person learns a tremendous amount from you. And um, there's not a lot of people who actually can accept a quote unquote demotion. Sure. When someone else is being promoted into a place where they can help you and and bring you along. Sure. And uh, it takes a certain type of vulnerability, a certain type of leader that can step aside and say, hey, I don't think I have what it takes to take you here. So so I, what, I, what I've seen, and I think you've, you've seen it too, is initially you know, your core values aren't, aren't solidified the first year, two, three, four years, right? You, we don't. We we expect that as we grow, all these friends and people we love on our team are going to be there in the same leadership positions or similar leadership position as you grow from 
five five team members to 100 or 200, right? And and that's not usually going to be the case. And we don't realize that early on, so we're selling we're, we're selling the vision with that same team leading forward, and it's not always going to be the case. So how did you build a, the culture? When I when I was around your business, I mean, I couldn't believe the the culture I saw. You had a lot of millennials in there. I mean, you you, you got basket you know basketball court, a, a workout area. I mean, a really cool environment that you that you created. I'm sure it wasn't like that initially, but but bottom line is <laughs> it actually was like that initially. So we again we started really? with a four hundred thousand dollar credit line, and we had one customer who was prepared to pay us in seven days, which gave us a huge leg in terms of having the ability to churn our cash and move it faster. But still, at the beginning, we were very cognizant of how much money we had, so we were working out at the multiplex, which is right like basically a hundred feet away. Oh really? And we'd all we all we bought everybody gym memberships. So throughout the entire course of this business, uh-huh. gym memberships into having a gym in the office has sort of been like, hey, you know, part of your culture. Yeah, well, you're not strapped to the seats. You're not. You can do whatever you want awesome. when you want to do it. You're the you're running your own day. We really tried to build a culture around you, Inc. You know, what do you want your business to look like? I and like we're that. gonna we're gonna stand behind it and and help you incorporate what that philosophy is going to be. Go and attack it. We're not telling you that we're right and that you're wrong or that you're right and we're wrong. Go and try and we'll support it until we don't think that you've had the result that we'd hope that you would demonstrate. So you allowed your team you allowed your team members to be entrepreneurs. entrepreneurs. They are they're, they're absolutely entrepreneurs. entrepreneurs. All right. And when we started when I was working at American Backhaulers, our commissions were 13% of the spread. And we started at around 14% of the spread we were paying paying our guys. We continued to try to fill the dynamic of if you may, you can make as much money as you want, work mm-hmm. as hard as you want. It was uh, it, I know. like that term, you ink. Yeah, that was good. That's awesome. Our third year of business, we had a guy make almost a million dollars as a sales rep. Whoa. Yeah. So I mean, you could imagine watching that success, and we're sitting there and like, that's great. Like, how do we keep mimicking that? And uh, yeah, it's, so it's you- crazy. I mean, yeah, you want to foster that success and that story and the, and the vision for others to, to be able to do the same thing, right? Yep, exactly. And, uh, but but so, so when it, when you think about you know your your culture from the beginning, then your culture where it was is today, and we're in that business. Um, how did it change? I mean, you, you you're, you're definitely a relationship building person, and I've known you as that. So you got to make tough decisions sometimes. With we know. yeah, there was there's been several. I mean, we so there was one key point that I think. Uh, really diagnosed it all for me and helped me sort of have clarity uh, as to how you can lose a team. I, in 2014, so I've sold my company or a percentage of my company to my partner at the time. Uh, In 2013, we sort of couldn't agree upon how we were gonna move forward, or 2012, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I sort of stepped aside to become more of a salesman Mm -hmm. and uh, for him to run the business Fast forward to thirteen, uh, end of thirteen, January fourteen, come and buy that business back, and start, initiate another LTIP program for my executive team. And wait, wait, explain that LTIP. a long term incentive plan. Okay. So we put a bunch of our all of our executives into this long term incentive plan at a baseline rate of what our EBITDA was and a multiple of that EBITDA, mm-hmm. and it had taken its course and the fifth year of that was going to vest out in 2015. So f- I'm sorry. So 2010, basically we put an L tip together, 2012, my, I sell to my partner, 2013, he runs the business, 2014, I end up 
acquiring back a majority share of the business, we end up having a fantastic 2014. So these guys are 80% vested into the sell tip. 2015 budgets come out. They're looking for growth off of 2014, just like any any team mm-hmm, would expect. Sure. Market softens in October of 14, starts to taper off. Business is average to lousy January, February, March. And my executive team starts sort of, you can see them thinking about why we sh- why they're upset because they're 80% vested in last year's number mm-hmm. versus where it could be in 100% vested off of a week 15. So literally, and I'm and I could easily have solved the problem and put another L tip in front of them to like be like, hey, calm, like this is you're still riding alongside of yeah. me. But every single one of them as an entrepreneur missed the mark in that situation. Literally to a man, they all quit. Wow. Literally all quit because of what the money was going to be left on the table, eighty percent vested from the year prior. So like a very valuable lesson in the sense of. Am I going to just aid them and make them feel like it's okay? I'm like, hey, you know that when it was worth this last year, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Like what you have is this percentage of a, a bigger mass of an issue. So, But they weren't even considering the risk that I was taking. Right. They were all self-oriented and wouldn't even consider the fact that maybe I would come around the other side as a teammate and say, you stuck it out. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you for being there for exactly. me. To a man. Literally. So built... A completely new executive team off of that. 2015. Yeah, and it was and it was just a revelatory situation. So for me, uh, I saw it one way, but it, and it but it hurt. You know, you have no idea how much it just. Literally, you sat there and like every single person sort of didn't see it in you that the leadership would come out on the other side. They were more preoccupied with, with themselves. Hey, I'm gonna leave. I mean, I don't want it to. I don't want to trivialize. It was several hundred thousand dollars. So I'm not. To some degree, maybe as a responsible adult, that's the right play. But you know, I I am I'm kind of a ride or die. I'd take a bullet for a lot more of those guys mm-hmm. than clearly would have taken a bullet for me. So yeah, um, you know, those are those are tough times. It's like as a as a as a CEO as an as an entrepreneur, you get you become very vulnerable in a situation like that, and you have to sit there and second guess. Like, hey, maybe I should have made it easier for them. Sure. Maybe I should have nursed them through it. But at the same time, like, how are they going to ever learn to stand on their own two feet? They'll, they'll know that you're there for them next time to nurse them through, too. <laughs> and that, really, I mean, that's not a good thing. Right. It's, right. There's a big difference, again, when we were talking about the idea of uh, of being charitable versus being just sort of, you know, a... Uh, yeah, a safety net, yeah, right? Yeah, you can't... If you keep giving, it's an... I'm sorry, it's an entitlement. So yeah, charity yeah. versus an entitlement, I think, is uh, a huge philosophical issue today that nobody really has a full grasp of. So how do we mm-hmm. grab a hold of that issue and solve for it? How do people just look at the man in the mirror? I beat the heck out of myself as an entrepreneur. I, you know, I play in my head. I'm game filming everything that I'm doing all the time. I'm game filming this conversation. How... Do I want to come across and let you know, like, how do I get you to be the man you want to be? How sure. do I get Quentin to be the man he wants to be? Like, I I get so enthusiastic about seeing someone else's success. Mm-hmm. I pride myself in maybe asking the right question or pulling the right framework together. So to have, again, like, I completely miss the mark on that team. Uh-huh. It's like my, I feel like it's my my sons, again, like. If I screw up with my sons, what how will I handle that? You get one shot at that, man. Yeah. And and inevitably I'm going to screw it up. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, you're gonna They're going to resent something that I've done. Sure. 
in some way, shape, or form, and they'll hold it against me, and they're gonna make me feel terrible. And I'll try to make, and I'll work through, you know, it's just, it's sort of like the circle of life. But yeah, but, but how do you, you know, when you, you get, you get great kids that, that are growing up in a great environment, you're a great father, great, you get a great wife and mother for that, for those kids. But, but still you, there's, there's a, there's a happy medium of, of creating grit and creating comfort, right? And you know, you know, you want your kids to be comfortable, but man, you better, you better teach them some grit because when they're in the situations you've been through in your life, right? How are they going to respond if you've been the safety net there for them all along, right? And we talk about this in our families, in our businesses, in our society, right? What what creates uh, sustainability and independence in a person, right? In a business, and what what creates dependency and damage, right? In a person, right? And how do we how do we have that? How do we find middle that ground. that 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 middle ground that makes sense? Where man, yeah, you are there to support people that need that support, but boy, you do a little too much of that, and and it and there's damage that comes along with that. Uh, so it's you're always weighing it, right? <laughs> it's a, well, I you know I say it about my relationship with my wife, and it it obviously pertains to probably a little bit of everybody, but it's like it's just like a big game of tug of war, <laughs> and you can't lose and you can't win. You know, yeah. it's got to be one of those where you're just like, hey, how far can I push yeah, you? Yeah. How far can I drive you to be better to the point that I don't make you think that I'm overbearing? Sorry right. about my language, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Okay, there tell, it goes. So tell me this now, with with your team, did that harden you at all with your team after yes. that? I mean, did yes. you get to be a little tougher on your team, or did you get to be easier on I'm the team? I'm tough on you know? everybody. I mean, as if you ask Jacob, I, I don't, I will not. I say what I feel. I'm not going to hold any cards. I will probably try to lessen the blow because I I see the positives, right? I, there's so much progress that people are making, but then it's like, but if you could just figure out how to do this just a little bit better. Like, could you imagine what kind of a leader you would be? Do you realize mm-hmm. what kind of a person and what type of wake you might have if you could just get here? Right. You know, again, Clinton talking about a, he wants to, you know, have a, an impact on a billion people. And I sit there and I'm like, a billion people? How do you get to a billion people? And again, it's like, you know, you think about a pyramid, you know, and you start to think about how do you how do you influence, how do you impact somebody positively where they sit there and they're like, wow. That guy made like, a difference. That just completely made me think about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And there's just not enough people that are willing to have that conversation. And as soon as they do, I think that there's such relief. You know, it's cathartic yeah. to, to sort of have like a business coach who you can sort of philosophize, hey, is this going to work? Sure. Or, you know, where where's the weakness in that game plan? Well, I think that, uh, you know, if, you know, I'm, I'm a... I'm a spiritual person. I love I love my my faith and my Catholic faith. I know you you're you're a strong, strong faith guy in your Jewish faith, and, and but but I, but I I believe that if we think about whoever it is that's looking over us, whoever we believe is watching every move we make, right? And we say, how do we make them happy in the long run, right? All I can do is use my strength as this as this you know ditch digger, hillbilly, whatever you want to call me, in my experiences to hopefully hopefully improve other people's lives. And, I, and I'm going to try to do that the rest of my life. I mean, I may, it may be, maybe I'm not as successful as many could be, but I'm, I'm going to try my, my best. You're the same way. When I, when I, you know, with true mentors, you were one of the first people that came on board and said, hey, Gary, I'll, I'll you know, Quentin, Gary, I'll, I'll help you with that, right? And when, I, when, I, when I've talked to the people you've mentored, they rave about you. They rave about what, what the difference you've made in their life by sharing your experiences with them, right? And, and again, if we just do that on a consistent basis, and, and again, don't, you know, we, we, you know, we probably offend once in a while by being blunt and honest, 
but but I'd rather do that than hold back and and not and, and not express myself and share my experiences, right? If um, you can't take it, like if you can't take it, then tough. But what, at some point in time, you're going to see an 0809 in your life or a 1516 in your life. Yeah. I think about if I didn't see a recession, I mean, who how I could be broke nine different ways going forward, right? right. So if you don't suffer from that adversity. If you don't, and that's why I think YPO can be so helpful. Someone's like, "Hey, watch out for that." Mm-hmm. You know, it's our job, it's our responsibility to, "Hey, watch out for that." Right. So, like, yeah, we're firm, we're tough. Maybe you can't take it today, but maybe in a year you'll come back out and be like, "You know what? I really needed that." Yeah. You know, and you just kind of have to wake up and. But, and Quentin, I don't know about you, but that's what I've seen in, in Ryan, and in, in, since, since I've known you the last nine, ten years, is. Not afraid to say exactly what's on his mind, <laughs> and and sometimes like, man, that kind of hurt. But then the longer, like, but he was right. Yeah, I, I got, I like, I got I a like, couple of stories. I appreciate from that. Perspective that right? With Ryan himself, I'm not gonna lie to you. The one thing, and I think both of you all have is, um, you know, there's a difference between having, and I think you all as great leaders, it shows. Uh, there's a difference between having empathy and sympathy, and you all definitely show the empathetic component of, hey, look, I, I know I'm, I, I can understand where you're coming from. I understand. I, I mean, honestly, you know how to put yourself in other people's shoes, and then just. As a leader, all right, but listen, let's solve the problem, not just focus on the issue. And in addition to that, um, yeah, you're talking about being a, you know, y'all call it a hard ass or whatever, but um, I, I call it conflict with caring. You know, I think this is a good way of showcasing how true leaders should be. Um, and you all are a testament to both of that, especially you when you come to me and I say, oh, I have this men's mentorship program I want to implement. And you're like, all right, well, that's a great idea, but if you thought about this and you had asked you 15 th- different type of questions and now your mind is just formulating like you're trying to come up with an answer and at the same time you realize, holy crap, I didn't think about this fully through. Yeah. Well, that's a good leader, by the way. He's not necessarily telling you you're wrong. He's just telling you to think about this. You yeah, know, Ryan's so. going to ask you, how is this sustainable, right? I, I, that's actually I, what that's, he asked me, yeah, um, Quentin James. How, how, so how, does this, how do we duplicate this in other, other high schools? I was like, oh, well, actually, you got a point. You know, let's let's yeah. focus on the first one first. Let's focus on the first one, you know? So, but uh, you're good at that, man. I think it's that type of, I appreciate that. I think it's, we don't have to recreate the wheel. Right. You know, I think that there are people, there's a guy named Ted Allen, who's a guy, he came out of our transportation market, ended up selling to um, Coyote Logistics. He's in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he started a Ch- Chattanooga Preparatory School. He's got 66 sixth graders that all have a mentor, an adult mentor, that's wow. with them basically through and through. And he is literally, again, he's he's running it tight, tight like a drum. And he's there and he loves it. And then he's just giving back and giving back. And you sit there and like, how can I replicate that? How can I bring yeah. up today's entrepreneurs? He's you know attacking accelerators. He's doing all kinds of the right things. He's you know, spending time with Gary Vee. You know, guys that are influencers that are ha- trying to impact our the millennials mm-hmm. and those people that are coming up that are just sort of, I think, confused. You know, just confused about what's – there's so much anxiety with social media. Like all these different things are putting pressures on people to like go. And like who's really sitting back and answering those 15 questions? You know, are you really taking the time? Are you really willing to put yourself out and fail? And then come back and take another beating, you know, because, mm-hmm. yes, okay, you're making progress. We're chipping away. It's like, uh, it's it's too hard. It's not, it'll never be perfect. So just get 80%. Be ready for it. Be per- ready. Yeah, get be 80% ready for the there. Yeah. 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 Push, push, push. How am I wrong? Tell me how I'm wrong and be comfortable, be honest. That's what I'm looking for out of you. I led that company until, you know, AFN, until the end of, you know, September and, 
you sit there and uh, all I've been asking for, we'd have town halls. Mm-hmm. And there'd be, we'd sit there and we'd spend an hour talking to our organization two times. We have two town halls a day and we'd have a Q and a, and my dad kept, he's like, Ryan, you need to keep having these conversations. You need to keep informing your organization as to what you see in the future. And I'm like, well, that's great, but they're not, they're not, there's no Q and a, no one's asking questions. No one's prepared to stand up and ask a question. It was like, I, I, as a team, you need to all be willing to accept. I said to them, like literally, hey, what do you go home to your spouse and say, man, if Ryan and his organization would just do it this way, it would save this much. Mm-hmm. Tell me how I'm an idiot. Say something to give me something to think about and focus on and improve. That's what you're here for. I'm trying to build a team of great people and, and support you. I'm not going to go out and cold call and sell anymore. I've done that. How can we move on? How can we graduate? How can you give me... Great business intelligence, forward-thinking analytics. How can we be different from our competition? And uh, those, that just became more and more challenging, I guess, as... Uh, as you got bigger as, or yeah, what? Well, as we got bigger and as the cha- the team change, you know, the changes in dynamics. You know, we hired, uh, you know, different people in different spots and they had different appeals and those people still had different faults and different issues. So we were exposed. It was, again, it's sort of like watching bureaucracy. It's like, oh, well, mm-hmm. we're going to make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. So then you hire to resolve for that mistake. And then you're like, oh, man, but he doesn't cover this aspect of the finance whatsoever. And you're like, oh, my God, like, am I sure I can trust this guy to make sure that we're not, you know, over leveraged or getting overly aggressive with our banks and pushing ourselves into Breaking a covenant, mm-hmm. you know, which is a whole different level of stress. Right. I had, uh, it was in, uh, I want to say in, in 2015 or 2016, got a uh, note from the bank, sent me a check, or I, basically a balance sheet that said that I owed $13 million and, I, and, it, and sent it to my house. And my wife opened Whoa. it. She's like, is there anything we need to be concerned about <laughs> here? And I sat there and I said, gee, I don't, you know, I don't think so. But I was like, holy shit, like they're sending me a, they just sent me a bill. Like, do you want to think about that before you send me an eight figure? You owe me $13 million. Wow. Yeah. So there were some um, fun moments in sports. Wow. Yeah. I want to know what happened next, actually. How long, how long did it take you to eat that? Figure it out or resolve. It didn't take long. I called him and said, what are you doing? Why are you sending this to my house? What, are you, what is your objective? It was uh, bankers, man. Some of these guys are very bright. Some of them, uh, you know, I didn't, I somehow fell into where I went, we bought a company leveraged up in order to swallow the company. And then our like two months got out ourselves sideways. We literally moved from MB and, uh, got ourselves sideways, broke a covenant. And then they just start, and next thing you know, we're in workout and we're like, wow. you gotta be kidding me. There's like, well, maybe you should pay your carriers slower. So well let's 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 analyze how how this all works because our our carriers are our partners so we want to make sure we pay them very well yeah. and very fast because they all have liquidity issues absolutely I'm like so you can see how you are you making our company better with this suggestion and I literally almost like I'm being I'm being calm now I literally almost <laughs> choked this guy out across the table I don't lose my cool very much anymore but when he said that I was sitting there I'm like so now I get it like this is how a bank can ruin an organization. Yeah. Wow, I've seen it. Definitely seen it happen. Yeah. So, so, and actually, we were in a workout situation about uh, four years ago, and uh, you know, it was you know they 
they were pretty good about it. Our bank was pretty good about it at the time and uh, never had been there before. But we figured it out and, and we got through it. But uh, yeah, you had to be totally transparent with them. We were and they're they're happy that we were. But uh, it wasn't easy. Well, I'm so. sure. Well, the question is, were you transparent with your organization? Absolutely. See, yeah. it's because in certain places, I, I you know, you, you drive a transparency in certain places. Driving that transparency might give. Well, they might be like, "Wow, I don't know if it's stable here." Sure. You know, do you, you're not missing a payroll. You can't do that to them. You can't put them in exactly. those positions. So we never never miss payroll or anything like that. But but we were transparent with everybody that that wanted to know. Basically, anybody that was that's that's in tune with our financials on a on a weekly, monthly basis knew, and we were transparent with them. Right? We're not not transparent with all three fifty or four hundred people, but but with our closest people that were that, that manage our business well, I, I think this might be a good question for both of you all so when 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 is there a good time i don't want to utilize the word when is there a good time to be transparent and when is there a good time to not say too much too soon or too at or at all for that matter where is that defined mm-hmm. line because some people don't know yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I think that it's there's you don't know right i mean um, you don't know the you're gonna hear you're gonna think that you have yourself covered and everybody's gonna see you know, this conversation is going to land on different people a lot of different ways. So you don't really know the philosophy because you don't, you can't, you're speaking to an audience and how are you going to manage that audience or are you yeah. going to deal with it individually? You have to think of who the audience is and, and how they might react. And, and, and I fought the unions for the, you know, three and a half, four years I fought the unions. I wasn't very transparent with my team because, because if they knew what was going on, they probably wouldn't be with me much longer. And I, I was, you know, basically going bank, you know, not never went bankrupt, but losing everything I had over a few year period because I, because I was spending way more money than I was making. And, and I was telling my, my team members as well as the unions that I was kicking their butt and we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're making more money than we've ever made before. Right. And that worked because we, you know, I kept my, my team calm and they come to work every day wanting, wanting to fight the unions along with me. Um, but you know, the unions on the other hand were fighting a lot harder as, as I kept bragging to them, we're making more money. <laughs> Either way, we got through it. Now, now, in today's day and age, for our business, we're we're very transparent with our our managers, our our partners, our VPs. You know, the leaders of our business. We're very transparent with these small to mid-sized businesses that we have today, and and so we stay transparent. Now, when in the tough times, we we had this issue four years ago. We lost you know some some key people in our business, some purposeful, some because they were afraid, and and you know I think it worked out great because we, the strongest ones, the ones that are the most confidence and faith in myself as a leader in our businesses are still with us today kicking butt right so it worked out really well but I, I, you know we weren't, weren't transparent with everybody in our everybody in every part of our organization because they really you know our labor force some of them you know don't need to know or don't really care to know right um, and but guess what some of the, we have some some people with us a long time in the labor force that ask questions and we were transparent with them because they cared they know who we were they've been with us a long time they've seen us through other tough times but it's a balancing act. You, you really got to think, okay, who's the audience, and and how are they going to react, and how transparent do how transparent do we get? You know, but but uh, it's something you got to weigh depending on what business you're in. It's uh, you just want you're walking a fine line the whole way until like again like the te- everything from a tax perspective says you should be selling your business. Everything all the time says you should be selling your business. If you know again you're taxed at thirty seven percent. Uh, every single year versus when you sell your business, it's you know you're going to sell it in 23% taxes. So, you know everything, the, you know private equity, all these businesses are philosophically that way because that's how the tax code is written. 
So, you know? so you, I mean, that's a great point, right? I mean, today, in today's day and age, the multiples are so high in all of our businesses that you really looked at it, that t- you know, for us to grow our business being taxed at 37, 40%, for, depending on where we're at in, in the country, in our, in our, in our, our tax brackets, right? You're taxed 37 to 45%. And it's better now than it was a few years ago, right? Right. But again, when you look at the ability to grow when you're taxed at that rate, it's, it's substantial. Yeah. Compared to selling a business where you're taxed at capital gains tax, right? And, 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 you're, and the buyers that very often are investors being taxed a similar, a similar way, That's right? Correct. Passive tax too. So they, they have more money out there. So again, you have to question every time. And the, and the, but the other point I would make, Ryan, is in building our businesses, we need to look at every single day as, are we creating value that could be sold? Because mm. if we're not, we're not going the right direction. And nobody on our team is going the right direction. Right. 100%. I mean, if, if we're not building our businesses with the eye of being, even if you never want to sell. Right. And I'm not a, a guy that's really sold much of anything. But if, if I don't build my are these businesses, our team doesn't build these businesses every day to be the most valuable they can be to the outside, then we're crazy. Well, again, I mean, if you do, if the business is growing and showing an upward trend and you happen to have the ability to sell it a multiple of 10 or 12 times, mm-hmm. you know, OK, so that's going to take you 10 years to potentially achieve that type of success now if you have that type of cash on the sideline how much more aggressive can you get having that cash in your holsters than if you're still playing with all this risk on the table you know when i sold the business the day we closed my buddy's like so how does it feel and i said well you know i literally haven't i've had more liabilities than assets on my PL since i was 25 years old <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So now for the first time in my life, I'm actually playing with a decent sized stack. Now, how aggressive can I get to, to make a difference? Mm-hmm. You know, so can I involve myself in a Chattanooga, Chattanooga preparatory school in Chicago? Can we do something with a green light capital? So, you know, companies that are trying to make a difference out there. Can we do something with true mentors? Amen. How can we, how can we Amen, attack? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right but i mean again we're pivoting yeah, we're, make... this this works this doesn't work yeah how do we grow and improve and who's willing to really get their hands dirty and play the game yeah. this is not my style i've never done something like this before but like i like you guys i'm like okay so we're gonna sit around with some microphones and i'm gonna have your unadulterated time for a few hours how often do i get to do that mm-hmm. so it's like it's a it's honestly a privilege Fun. And hopefully I don't sound like a complete jerk while I'm on the on, on yeah, this you, thing. But. You're you can't sound like a jerk. You sound like a cool dude that has a lot of fun in life. I'm that's blushing. What, I'm that's blushing. What, that's what we want. Thank you. You're a good man. So what are some things you're doing right now? Now that you've uh, you know sold the business and so you're part of it necessarily. And I mean, and FYI, I know a lot of people at uh, AFN and they you know still you know could they loved your leadership. So I'm, I'm pretty sure they um, they're missing you already. But for the most part, what are some things now that you're you sink your teeth into you like you mean the next phase of Ryan Dobby. What are, you know? I'm doing this. I'm doing that. What are some of those things now? I think that uh, the overarching things that I'm seeing right now again are like you know from a fatherly perspective. I get concerned about my kid having a cell phone, which I just gave him now that he turned 13. And I think about uh, again the anxiety of social media that he, I I go in to kiss him goodnight and his phone's sitting right there, and I know I'm on Instagram <laughs> and I can see. Like the last time he was on Instagram and I sit there and I'm like, is this, you know, should I be making him write me a paper once a week about what he learned off of Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. because it's got to be the right things. There's a lot of motivational stuff. I like following Gary V on Instagram. You know, those are, those are, that's good time in my opinion of surfing and learning, mm-hmm. but also there's, everybody's sitting there, you know, taking pictures of themselves and completely caught up in 
their own stuff rather than understanding what you know what's going on out there and everybody's trying to impress or make somebody else happy and no one's really living in the present and just sort of being in the moment of of what we're dealing with and what we're doing and the the world is uh at least our country i've never seen it quite so derisive and uh negative what's wrong with this what's wrong with that it's never mm-hmm. like wow like imagine being someplace else you know, imagine being in another country and climbing a wall to escape it. Mm-hmm. Great point. There's just there's so much going on today like that I have an issue with that way um, that I'm concerned with. But I f- feel as if, uh, look, I don't want to be Donald Trump. I don't want to be a person that's going to be vilified uh, if my opinion doesn't sound like it fits uh, yeah. social norms. It's really a frustrating, stru- you know, stressful. Well, so I was actually going to recruit you into the p- political world because <laughs> I, I know some people there and, uh, you know, you're the type of guy anybody would want to lead. So what do you think? You, you good with that? I think it sounds huh? like a, just well, an I'm... absolutely terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Isn't that crazy though? I mean, here's a guy, you know, young guy like you for, you know, for, for to be in a position you're in, you're blessed and, 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 uh, your family's blessed that they got you in your attention as much as they're going to have right now in the future to raise these kids and everything else. But you know, we we can't get great people to to jump into these things, right? You're a guy that be, that'd be a perfect person that could would speak your mind and and with your ex, your experience at a young age could do great things in in public service, Thank right? You. In politics, right? But yet we can't get guys like you, right? And I I've, I was actually asked recently if I would jump into something, uh, and I said I can't do that. I got I've got too many good things going on in my life. I've got a, my, my, you know, my, my great family, great faith, great business, and, and I these things are going to be jeopardized if I ever thought about this, we're, right? We're talking about running 200, 300, 400 people organizations. Imagine running our country. Yeah. Imagine running our state. Imagine you know being the mayor of your city. But the, but the waste you'd find is incredible. The waste you would find as a business leader would be incredible, and you could help lead those things in easy, you know, much easier than somebody who's never been in a position you've been in. But again, but the problem in our society today is, I believe, is you're not going to do that. You're not going to put your family in the face of that, right? And I, and you and I can't do that. Many Most people can't. They might be perfectly qualified, can't do it, whether they're far left, far right, whatever. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's a shame, right, that we can't have it. Because like you're saying, I mean, we got, we've got great things going on in our country. We don't talk about the great things enough. Because, you know, could you, have done, could you have done this? Could you have built this business if you're in Argentina, if you're, uh, you know, a— uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. I mean, could you have done what you did right. in any other country that you know? I mean, again, you could you could certainly do it someplace else. There's probably a tremendous amount of markets that are underdeveloped where you could go over and achieve uh, great things for them and make great promising strides for them. But uh, you know, overall, there's no place, there's no economy like ours where you can uh, literally make a difference. You know, where you can literally attack something and. It's just not that bureaucratic. It is developed enough that you can go out and make a difference. Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, you know, the, everybody complains about it. I'm, I'm starting with, uh, I'm the Lincolnshire Sports Association president. All right. You know, that we'll start with just my community and see if we can build an <laughs> athletic program awesome. to get the community to come and use our parks. Uh-huh. You know, just start with small stuff and see That'd if that's, is that, is that palatable? You know, getting involved in an overnight camp, uh, where you know 200 boys are spending a summer up there from ages eight to you know 23, depending on if you're a camper or a counselor, and uh, you know can we make can we make an impact? And these are these are experiences you know made an impact on you, so you know hey if I get involved in these things, 
you know the results because yeah, you, you you've been an example of that, right? That's well, yes. I mean, again, like the adversities of being not helicoptered by your parents for two months, yeah. you certainly learn a lot about yourself and uh, certainly sets you up to have a little bit better understanding of what college is about and your sense of independence. So tell me about this, right? Tell me your, you know, your, your, your great mentor and you've, you've had to learn that somewhere. Who, who have you mentored? Who's been mentors to you in your life that have made a big difference that created the mindset that you have that, that think it's cool to be a mentor and give back your time and, and experiences? I, uh, that's, it's, so I think that there's a lot of pe- everybody is my mentor in some way, shape or form. I, I try to take away something from somebody every mm-hmm. time that I have an opportunity to listen, you sure. know, to talk, to understand, to not be, uh, closed minded, you mm-hmm. know, try to be, do something different that takes you out of your, your comfort zone. Right. But you know, my dad obviously was a huge mentor to me growing up. He was a sensational athlete a great man, uh, trustworthy, honest, integrity was all the way through. Uh Um, but you know, from, uh, you know, again, my, the relationship he had with my mom and as a parent, it was more of, uh, you know, children are the, are a disruption in the course of life. So they, it was their love for each other Mm -hmm. and we're a a byproduct (laughs) of that love. And if I sat there and would have a discussion with my dad and I, my mom would have yelled at me over whatever it was that I was doing, I'm like, does this make sense to you? And I'd put him in a tough spot, you know, but, and he'd ha- he would 95% of the time agree with my mom because he was going home, going to bed with her and he wasn't going to, you know, if he was home two days a week, he wasn't going to ruin that, right? right, right so right. I think that my sales acumen probably comes a lot from... I thought I was being rational and reasonable, but I lost a lot of debates <laughs> even when I thought I won. So, um, but, you, so but your dad was awesome. My dad was great. Like, he, he, he still he still uh, he still works, he works with me. Yes, today, absolutely. Right? He's think through things and all that. He's clearly a chief cook and bottle washer. He'll, he's a man. He's a good sixth man. He can mm-hmm. pass. He can shoot. You know, oh. he can steal. He's a, he's a good. You know, he's just a good all around ball player. He'll, Still beat me in tennis today. I would not play him Whoa. on the tennis court. He's he's an animal. And so. He's like that in business too, pretty much. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's, well, he's just all he's, around. He's just got a nature and a way about him. Everybody wants to be around him. He's he's the wise elder, you know. Genuinely, uh, just not selfless. Why, why you been keeping this guy away from me, man? I want to meet thing. this dude. Have <laughs> just What's fly out to Palm Springs and huh? spend some time. I'll, with him. I'll, I'll be there. Help. You should. I'll be he, there. Pick up the phone. He's got nothing but. He's got a lot of time on his hands now. He's not with <laughs> AFN anymore. So I love I'm sure he'd love guy. to talk to you. Yes, yeah. he's. Um, what he's role did What role did your dad play in the business? He started. I mean, he's, he, again, you know, he was like retired and I said, Hey, I could really use, you know, your head, your mind. And, um, you know, started in sort of like helping with accounting and cutting checks Uh and then to, uh, he did some human resources work. He did a lot of different things, but more than anything, you know, I sort of dangle myself over the, over the edge and he's sort of holding, holding me over and making sure I don't, you know, fall off. Uh He was, uh, just a strong devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, you know, every day there's, you know, should we go this way or should we go that way? And I, there's a lot of times where he said, go this way. And I went that way. And there were a lot of times when he said, go this way. And I, you know, I heeded his advice. But you're, he, and, but you're a guy I know that, that, that likes to roll the dice, like, likes make, to gamble. Edu- <laughs> educated gambles are, are a blast for you like they are for me, right? He, it, he it was, did, was your dad one that kind of. No, would, he's like the, he's the absolute opposite. He's a squirrel. He would not, he does still to this day as not gamble. He, you know, a guy had no mortgage on any home. 
you know, I was sitting there and it's like, hey, you know, if you could finance this and just put it in the stock market like you told me to, you'd probably, you know, he's like, well, I only have this much time left. I'm like, come on, like, let's let's step step up. There was one time my mom's mother, uh, we were going, she loves, she likes to gamble. So we're on a cruise, which I absolutely despise. And I'm like 18, 19 years old and I'm gambling on this cruise ship and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hot. I'm playing two hands and I'm up to 50, and this, I'm in college. Playing two $50 hands of blackjack. My dad just sort of walks up. He's like, you know, Ryan, in my like, you know, 25 years of being able to be in a casino or gamble, I've never had that much money on the table. <laughs> like I'm sitting there in the middle of the hand. I'm like, how big of a jack off do I look like right now? He's completely like judging me. I probably I'm pretty sure I lost the hand and like I was like okay, we're going to we're going to walk away now cuz all I I'm like I'm But that, that was perfect though for your dad that for your, you and your dad to work together. It's perfect, especially yeah. if you respect each other, right? He expects your your willingness to want to gamble, roll the dice once in a while and educated educated gambles and yeah. you respect his conservativeness and boy together it probably worked it out pretty well. Certainly helps. No question yeah. about it. It certainly helps uh it's a good complimentary relationship. I find I find it with, with my I'm much you and I are much alike that way, and and I and I find I I've got to surround myself with people to challenge the, you know my decisions because uh, very often I'm like yeah let's let's do it hey wait we just talked about it for an hour that's okay let let's do it <laughs> well wait it's going to cost a lot of money uh, shouldn't we think of this over a little more right but I need those people making me think things through right that I think that uh, that's exactly unfortunately for both of us I think that we sort of judge. Across, you know, across the table quickly, for better or for worse, and it's like, hey, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, and you can always remember one or two times it worked out when you yeah. when you thought you know irrationally and it worked out. Yeah, I remember that time, right? But there's probably five or ten times more than that that it didn't work out so well. You forgot about. No, see, I am I'm absolutely the opposite. I so, ce- right, I celebrate all the losses. It's like, oh, I made the biggest mistake there. <laughs> Can't believe I pl- I bought that there instead of buying it here, selling that here instead of selling it there. But you learned, and now you're gonna you want to go learn more, make another mistake. Well, I just want to help everybody else not make those mistakes. I mean. If I can convince you not to buy Bitcoin today, then I think that this will be time well spent. <laughs> I was just asking. I was just going to ask you that, but uh, I, I should just stay away from yeah, it. I mean, again, it's I sit there and I, you know, you think about it, an investment thesis. As long as I can explain what I'm investing into my eight-year-old son, mm-hmm. I should probably. I feel better about it. Yeah. But if someone wants to teach me how Bitcoin works and how I'm supposed to use it, <laughs> you, can, you can call my cell phone. Uh, yeah. Don't or don't. That's something that I've, I, uh, a lot of my friends are messing with. I've not, and uh, I, I do focus investing in my businesses more than anything else, and, and it overall works out, even though I gamble in my businesses too. So I'm, we're we're off in the bleeding edge. Um, I think that sometimes the bleeding doesn't slow down. As soon as you say that uh, this is a black market tool, and you know that you can do things that people aren't following, it's probably something that's better off staying away from. Yeah, like politics. Yeah, like, like <laughs> politics. You're right. You're right. Okay, so think, so so vision. You've had to had a, you've had to had a vision to get people to follow you all along, right? To, to get great people on your team that you can partner with. You had to have a vision. You and and your leaders had to create that vision. What's your vision now? I mean, when you think about uh, you know, you got Jacob, this this sharp sharp dude with you here right now. I mean, Jace, Jacob said, I don't know that you got a vision, right? To, to to be on your team and then and to know there's opportunity for him and to, and to help you grow this. Right, everything you do in the future. What's that vision look like? It's. A, I think it's more about. I think that uh, I can. It's really easy to stay here. Say here now that I've had this liquidity event that you should focus on emotional capital. 
<laughs> you know, you should focus on mental capital. It's like, well, sure, you can say that. You've got enough money that it doesn't matter right. anymore. Well, uh, it does. It's the money is not the fulfilling part of it. You know, mm-hmm. if you if the money is what you care about, uh, you're it's, it's you're gonna be so disappointed. You know, I mean, these again, an Anthony Bourdain, a Kate Spade, these people literally see the world in a way that they literally are giving up hope. Yeah, giving up hope. They're they have more money than they could spend, and there's something there that they are unfulfilled about. And try to unwind that. Try to yeah. try to let's talk. Like, why couldn't did they not have a single friend that they could call and reach out to? That would understand. Mm. Like, think about how lonely those people are. Robin so, Williams. I mean, think of these people. Like you're saying, the greatest people on earth, right? That 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 add so much value to so many lives, right? And and yet they don't see that in themselves. Right? And then you know, you think about again a legacy. It's like those people are forgotten. You know, yeah, I see I, the the flag is still down for George Bush, but like, is anyone talking? Mm-hmm. It's been two weeks. Gave his whole like, you know, he, he was a, a a fighter pilot. Could have could have literally called it a day at twenty two and and had a legacy yeah. beyond. He would have been the biggest the stud of all time. Yeah. But he committed another seventy plus years to our country. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and is he being discussed? Is he being celebrated? Well, no. the flag is down. Why is the flag down? It's all, it's in every person he if he affected in a positive way, right? I mean, it's those people that that they'll carry on his legacy. You know, the people that live that want to live life like he did, right? And, and those those friends of his and the people that, that loved him, right? That that he affected so positively. And that's his, that's that's what will continue on. So again, that's that's the question you have to ask yourself now, right? How can you add value to other people's lives now more than you ever could before? As a, as the leader of a nice organization, you can do some cool things. You can create opportunity, and there's a lot. It's fun, right, to see people progress and do well. But now, as as this 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 leader of your own, you know, your, yourself now, and your and your uh, your family your family foundation and the things you can do now in the future. What's that vision look like? I mean, you probably not it just happened recently, so yeah, I'm I mean, sure it's again, not totally it's, yeah, clear. It's, it's, and you're it's, a young dude. I, mine's still not clear, right? And I'm old, a lot older than you. It's never gonna. It doesn't matter the, our age, you know. Again, where it's where you are, I think mentally, mm-hmm. sort of in your mindset and your growth. You know, we talk about mentors. A guy, his name's Rand Stegan, and the program is called Stegan. I don't know if you've heard of it in Dallas, Texas, but I took this class, a year-long uh, program, basically. Uh, that's teaching us about attention management and project management and also just self-awareness and what's your personal vision and mission to that point. Those are things that we all need to focus on. We should be focusing on them when they're, our kids are in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your personal mission? You know, I just want to take a deep breath and smile and just be here with you guys today, right? Mm-hmm. Because what does tomorrow bring? Well, what's the guarantee that tomorrow is? You know, and I'm going to like... My, I'm going to retire at 65. That was what my parents said. I want to be able to retire mm-hmm. and do what? Yeah. What are you going to do? Are you, you're going to play? You don't, I don't, not a, a great of a golfer, even if I can kick your butt <laughs> still like, I can't find that much enjoyment out of it. What do you, so let's, let's try to make a difference. Let's tell everybody to relax and breathe because money, what, what is it? What is it's materiality at the mm-hmm. end of the day, unless you're literally going to get on the ground someplace and get serious about impacting uh, a philosophy of our children so that there's hope and uh, eliminate elimination of some of the derisiveness that's out there today how, how do we how do we impact that and get away from the discussion of hey I want a Porsche hey I want a yeah. really cool car or house or whatever it's like yeah that's those are nice to haves yeah but it, it, if 
is that that's just a social status discussion. It's not about like, who are you? You know, who are you? Surround yourself with the five close five closest people that you're with. You're the average of those people. Mm-hmm. Who are your five? Right. That's uh, that's a great points, buddy. It's the th- things that we think that we need to think about more often for sure. So, so, you know, Jacob, you're on, you're on uh, Ryan's team here now. And we talked to you a little bit before we started sharp young man that's been in business and been around duplication of business and all different things. And you, you met uh, Ryan, interestingly, you you can share that with us quickly, but uh, tell us about yourself and what you're going to do in this, in this world of Ryan Dalby in the future. Sure. Yeah. Um, And actually before though, I want to kind of give a, the thesis of what I think Ryan's vision is just a little bit more concisely if we can. And obviously this is my version of it. So, um, you know, it might not be totally accurate, but, um, I think from what I've gathered, what Ryan really wants to do is he wants to invest in and and donate to, uh, charities, businesses, and people that matter to him personally or to the world or to their communities or whatever it might be. Um, and that was something that I wrote down early on when we were first, uh, discussing, you know, me working for him, but, uh, just to kind of give like, you know, concise vision for, for what I think Ryan has kind of told me he wants to do. And, sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, Ryan is the big picture kind of person. He, he's looking at, you know, what he can do holistically and what, uh, you know, he can attack every day so that he can actually make a real difference, you know, a positive difference in people's lives. Uh, and then my job is to sort of pick up the pieces and be that operational, uh, you know, function or whatever, whatever I may be like a utility kind of person. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, my background helps me and will help me do that. And, uh, you know, when I proposed to Ryan, we sort of figured out, you know, ways to make it a little bit more clear, like what my role would be in that. Um, and you know, I've just been kind of along for the ride. And, and you know, I said, I said it to him when I first proposed, I said, I want you to take me under your wing. Uh, and, and he is. Well, and the, and the cool thing is, you know, you're a guy that can work anywhere. You could find a job in leadership about anywhere, right? Well, what what yeah. what drove you? And I, I can I can I can I can kind of think of what the answers would be. Being a young guy like you are, and you know, being around a guy like this. But uh, go ahead, tell me what drove you to 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 want to be a part of this this guy's team. Yeah, so we uh, we played golf together up in uh, Sand Valley on the way up to our alumni weekend at camp at Kawaga uh, last or you know last summer in June. And uh, I had the best round of my life. Is that right? And so that was it. I was like, you know, if I play the best uh, round of my life with this guy, know. then, you know, I figure I might as well 76. try to. 76? <laughs> uh, no, 73, 73, which was even Ooh. from that. So, so how do you like, how do you like uh, Ryan's course up there? Uh, it's great. Huh? It's great. Well, that was at that was at Mammoth. I had that round. I mean, those courses are incredible. So, so Ryan and I were a little alike, and we could tell you we were on a plane ride with with the, one of the I, I believe like the Michael Jordan of golf course development, yeah. Mike Kaiser, yeah, Michael yeah. Kaiser, right? And uh, well, they developed Sand Valley, right? Yeah, yeah. they developed Sand, He developed Sand Valley, and on the way back though from Bandon Dunes before Sand Valley, mm-hmm. Ryan and I were on the plane ride with him, and we had we had uh, four or five other entrepreneurs on the plane with us, great friends of ours. I went on a golf trip with Mike Mike Kaiser, which was a it's an awesome experience, right? On his golf courses at some of the best golf courses in the world, Bandon Dunes. But on the way back, we're we're picking a, picking his brain and uh, Mike Kaiser trying to learn everything we can from him. And we're he was probably thinking we're a pain in the neck at this point because him <laughs> and him, Ryan and I are hammering with questions while our buddies are rolling their eyes saying, "Oh my gosh, these guys are a pain <laughs> in the neck." And but 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 we got out of him that he was going to do this new course in Wisconsin and and. And sure enough, we're like, well, you, you, you're going to look for any partners or anything? You're looking for a partnership? And, and, and he goes, you know, actually, I am. And that one, we're going to have some fun. I'm going to get, I'm going to invite people that I like, only people that, that, that you know, I, I want to be partners in this thing. And we're going to do a, a little partnership there. 
So Ryan and I are like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm in. I don't know who said it first, but I'm in. I'm in, right? The other guys shut their mouths, didn't say a word, right? But we're in like that, right? We didn't, we didn't care how much. We didn't ask, you know, what the, you know, we're going to get one quarter of 1% for $2 million or what we're going to do. We didn't even ask. We said, we're in. It's the perfect example of what, you know, drew me to, to want to work for Ryan in the first place, that he'll, you know, he's the guy who would do something like that. Yeah. You know, meet somebody like Mike Kaiser and then say, oh, you're, in, you're starting something new. I want in on that exactly. right now. No hesitation. Exactly. Um, so that's, and, yeah, it's a huge, I think, a strength of his. Yep. Absolutely. It is. It's a weakness, but it could be a, a strength. In that case, we're, we're, it's a fun place to go to and to, to know that we, we get treated like pretty much like kings when we're up there and this beautiful place that's going to be one of the best golf course communities in the world. Right? Yeah, it is fun. beautiful up there. It's like paradise. And the best thing is mentorship again. Mike Kaiser, he's such a, so him and his son are great guys. Mike Jr., Mike, Mike Kaiser uh, Sr., Mike, uh, Mike Jr., spectacular guys. I, 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 I pick their brain often in the golf course world. Ryan, I'm sure, you know, if he wants to, they'll, 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 you know, they'll answer any questions and he can pick their brain all they want. And you're, you're talking really, in my opinion, the Michael Jordan of golf course development when you talk yeah. to him. So if we're, you know, we're passionate about that game on, as fun and, and, and business and, so it's kind of neat, right? So sorry, sorry to inter- no. interject, but the, the Sand Valley thing, I had to, I had to tell that story quick. No, I love it. Yeah. Um, I guess if there's just one more thing that I would want to say about about Ryan, and I think from what I've learned about you too, is that, and you brought this up early on, is that uh, you know Ryan has a competitive nature, right? And I think that uh, sometimes when we hear about or learn about um, business owners or entrepreneurs or even politicians, to go back mm-hmm. to it, who are competitive by nature, we think of them as less than compassionate, you know, not compassionate. We we think of them as not empathetic, mm-hmm. like Quentin, like what you were saying before. Um, but the truly, I think, you know, great leaders and look, I don't, I don't know anything. I'm, I'm 32 years old. You know, I don't really know anything, but from, from what I have learned, I really think that the, the, the truly great leaders and the people that I look up to the most, whether or not I know them in my life are the people that have that balance where they're competitive and they're aggressive and they want something and they go get it, but they also have a heart and they're compassionate and they believe in other people. Um, and you know, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, I've learned about Orion, uh, you know, over, over many years, but certainly in the last couple of years, I learned that. Uh, definitely more specifically. And then, um, you know, just people like my dad or people like, you know, my most important leaders, they all share that quality that mm-hmm. they have both. Right. Uh, and I think it's just a really important thing. And it's why, you know, I think I'm really lucky to, to be in this opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. And, and you know what, we're, you're going to, you're going to see that, you know, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't ask Ryan to be on this if we didn't see those qualities in him. And he's, right. he, he's, he's got those to the tens. And, and, and again, we, I've, I've got friends of mine that unfortunately, we won't have on here probably because they're, they're, they're whatever. But I mean, on, on the, on the, you know, they're, they're super competitive and they do, and they build business and they're great, great business leaders. But, but in some cases they're, maybe they're not through their life yet. They want to think about what, what, how they're going to give back and how they're going to be part of the community of giving in the future. And There's stuff. more people like that than, than the other. I yeah, think. And I, and I, like I said, we want people that we want to know that the entrepreneurs that we respect and, and, and want to share our lives with are those that are, not only just kicking butt in business and whatever they're doing to make to, to make things great in the business world, but also kicking butt when it comes to you know uh, building a legacy, give, you know, get, investing in causes that, that are sustainable beyond them. Right, that's the most fun. So I think that your 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 ability is is that you again like we are good at surrounding ourselves with the right people. You know, I think that you again have a just sort of an innate way of moving forward. And if you surround yourself with great operators, you're just going to be, a, you're going to be tremendously successful and mm-hmm. effective. And that success can be measured in a lot of different ways, you know? And I think that 
the outside world and how they might perceive your success versus your own sort of humble way of uh, accepting your own success are two different things. And that's, I think that's what good leadership is, is if I feel that I'm accomplished at 41, you know, I don't, I really hope that even though my athletics, I'm not in my prime anymore, but mentally, if, you know, I hope that I'm really dangerous in 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope yeah, that, yeah. I, you know, when you start to think about a trajectory, what, what are you going to be doing? Well, you know, I just, I want to, I want to just uh, be around great people and I want to surround myself and build great teams. Right. So I want to, you know, I want to be a part of this team. You know what I mean? It's. How fun is it to have an opportunity, right, that you have going forward? It's got to be so exciting for you to know that now, you know, you're in a position right now. You, you, you're, you're basically just, just you're the artist of this, this awesome canvas ahead, right? And, and how cool is it that you can, you can, you, you can visualize it now and build it any way you want it, and, and you're going to surround yourself with, with, with team members like Jacob to make sure it comes to fruition. And how fun is it going to be to look back at, right, when you're 70 years old and say, whoa. You did it, man. Uh, you know, it's it's even a prettier picture than 70, I thought. That's a win in itself. It's even a prettier picture than I thought, right? It'll be fun. Looking forward to it. That's I mean, a, hopefully, seventies not tomorrow, but it is it is moving fast. That's for sure. It is. Yeah, I, I remember when I was your age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it didn't seem as long. It doesn't seem 14 years ago, but uh, but uh, you know, we get, we both got long, uh, a, you know, long long uh, runway ahead of us. Um, if, Speak for yourself. If uh, you know, <laughs> if the good man above uh, likes us here. Exactly, I do believe in karma. <laughs> uh, you know, you talked about religion earlier. There's a lot to be said about uh, looking at yourself in the mirror and uh, being proud of what you see. And you know, there's. I think that that's a very st- big struggle is having the ability to sort of look past uh, what you haven't accomplished mm-hmm. and having the ability to sort of be like, man, like. Look where we are. Look what we, you know. Look what we've accomplished. Look, you know. Now where are we? Where are we going to go? And I think that everybody needs to have the ability to, you know. My eight-year-old son is—he's uh, the best. He's always, you know, when we have bre- when we have lunch or I'm sorry, dinner together, he says, "What was your, the best part of your day, and what was oh, the worst part of your day?" And awesome. That that idea gives everybody the ability to sort of think about, Reflect. "Hey, did, did you have, who, did you in, did you make someone's day today? Did you uh-huh. make somebody happy?" You know, think about uh, I'm in a very competitive school district right now, and it's Stevenson, you know, Stevenson School and they're whatever in the country and they test really, really well. So we had we just got done with like our reviews of our kids. And the first thing they do is they bring out the standardized testing. They're like, well, here's what you know, here's where the state is. Here's where the school is. Here's where your kid is. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hey, like, is my kid is my kid a good kid? Like, Mm -hmm. does he? make this does he make the day better for everybody or is he like someone who's they call them bucket fillers uh what you know which which is he is he you know is he being polite is he respectful does he does he say please and thank you and it's like the test does he he challenge positively yeah challenge in a good way can you communicate can you collaborate you know ei where's the you know do they measure ei in kids i don't i don't think so but i mean boy gosh there's like you know gallup the idea of gallup and strengths finder they do actually have a children's strengths finder, but shouldn't that just, that should be something like mm-hmm. a, immediately, hey, these are the great parts of you. This is, you're gonna, you are sensational in this way. Mm-hmm. And these are things that you're not great at. And hey, let's not worry so much about what you're not great at and really focus on where you are strengths, great. Yeah. Imagine the philosophy of a child who's not being told, hey, you, you know, you got a C in that class. 
you know, <laughs> oh my, that that's like life ending. If you don't, if you can't get better than a C in geometry, like that's going to have a huge impact on the rest of your life. Are you yeah. kidding me? A C in geometry? Who? Maybe yeah. you care because you're dealing with geometry every day. But like guys like us, <laughs> geometry, biology, pass. I'm not. It's like, I'm not going to be a heart surgeon. Not yeah, a yeah. chance. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know, you can't you can't if you, you can't man, you can't manage. We don't measure, right? And uh, and I see that in our schools sometimes we we measure many things that might not matter in the in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things of life. And there's a lot of things we don't measure at all that that mean a lot you know and, it, and it's those soft skills right communication and and you know are, are these kids treating their, their 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 friends you know with respect or the people that aren't their friends with respect are they challenging in a good way in a positive way are they a little shits are they you know, you know? <laughs> i mean I, I think if there's a way to measure those things i think it'd be good and maybe there is i i've not been around you know our, our our school systems as much lately but um, boy, that's like again the spear program that you know Quentin's talking oh, about. You know, one, yeah. again, can we? You know, we were talking about like, hey, how do you give somebody the the opportunity to be in this program? You know, is it, hey, the person who's got the best grades? No, let's ask them a few questions. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see who they are outside of school and if they have the ability to think and be creative. And maybe it is the like the guys that are getting the D's and the F's in class. It's because they're sitting there and they're not going to socialize with what the masses are saying. It's not that they're literally DNF kids. They're probably fantastic in something. And whatever that adversity is that they're facing, they're probably going to be 10 times more successful than the kid who was the class president, getting straight A's, reading his books, and following you know following what everybody says is right. It's like, then now what? Who's sure. telling me what to do next? Oh, go be a doctor. Sure. Well, you know, we have, we have the at Bull Valley we have the Evan Scholar Program, right? That we that we put in place a few years ago after after we've uh, you know, became part of that club, and uh, we've we've had a, we've had an Evan Scholar now, and it's been awesome to see that happen, right? And and not you know I was all about setting up a new program, and we've done it now, and it was basically kind of like it's not named after me, but it's kind of my type of scholarship. It's the it's the kid that works the hardest, and gets the best grades they can get for their work ethic, and they might be a C student might be a D student might be a B student we're not you know it doesn't matter what grade they get we want to know that in their school and on the golf course they're working they're out working people around them and we don't care what that grade is and and again it's kind of because uh, you know I, I you know my you know my story I, I was I graduated in the top 75 percent of my high school and I and I got you know C's and D's and and I I worked kind of hard I guess for I worked hard in sports anyway for sure and I kind of worked with that leftover half hour a week I had on on getting the best grades I could get, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but but bottom line is I do see a lot of kids that that, that I'm around, you know, that are caddying and kids that I see in my own in some of my own kids, uh, my 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 youngest son, my oldest son, who they worked they worked really hard to get mediocre grades, and and they had issues, whatever those issues were, ADHD, ADD, um, uh, you know, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, some things that we've had in our, for our kid, in our kids, my, my, my son, my adopted son and, and my oldest son, right? My two daughters are smart as can be. And they, they, they just, they were, they were naturally good academically. My two sons weren't much like me, but I, I believe they worked hard to get what they got. And and I think there's something that to be said for that because I think work ethic is is uh, well we had a uh, friend of mine who calls it the cheat code <clears throat> the cheat code today is work ethic right and if and if if and boy if you have you know better work ethic I think than anybody around you in the business you're in you're going to do okay um, you don't have to be the smartest person uh, but but if you have that work ethic you're probably going to 
you're probably going to do okay. So the cheat code, he, you know, he calls his work ethic. Simple thing, right? But I believe my, my two boys have that, and I, and I believe they'll be successful because they do have it. So, again, how do you measure that, and how do we, how do we, how do we pat them on the back to say, man, you know what, you worked your butt off, and, and we, saw, we, 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 we witnessed that. I think that that's the point, though. I think that it's a virtuous cycle of what you're saying in the sense that you're, it's not an innate quality, especially for boys, to be to have a solid work ethic you know i don't i think that there's not a confidence and comfort in the fact that i know i want to go that way mm-hmm. there's a debate of like am i sure i want to go that way and good leaders uh have the ability to, to drive that work ethic i think with positivity and, po- and positive reinforcement and encouragement mm-hmm. rather than it being like uh, i think that that's why again some of these coaches are good for like two or three years they can be inspirational in some sort of a, you know, militant way, and then sometimes that if you're always militant, eventually mm-hmm. it's sort of it's like, hey, it wears you know, watch my wife get like angry, and it's like, you know, it's four p.m. and she, you know I'm coming home from work or five p.m. It's like, and it's sort of like I can't take it anymore, you know. And you're like, well, you can't, you can't just keep yelling at them because inevitably, once you've lost your temper, it's over. Like right. the discussion has lost its meaning because. It's almost you can be fearful. You're going to be irrational. Somehow, if you lose your temper with every conversation, you start losing a little bit of respect. Probably. You've lost. You've lost. It's <laughs> it's a lack of intelligence. Absolutely. If you if you, you get into a place, you know, I've thought about it. Like, do I want to have a gun in my house? Yeah. And I think about myself. Like, can I have? Do I have the temperament to manage having a gun in my house? <laughs> you know, because if if I lose, if I get to a place where I'm that upset, or yeah. like, unless it's like just catastrophic. Can I think of a place where I'd much prefer to try to, hey, can we talk through this? And if I take a bullet, then, yeah. you know, it's going to be what it is. But I, at the same time, like, think about the positives and the negatives of being ready, you know, and ready for what? Like, we could have talked it through. We didn't need a yeah. gun, did we? Exactly. Exactly. Think about, again, like, again, like Trump, man. Like, I want to be supportive of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to be supportive of Obama. I want to be supportive of whoever's running our country. But, like, I think it's, it is challenging when somebody says fake media and then playing shadow games with his own Twitter. Are, is that leading the cut? Is that doing as I say and not as I do as a parent? Mm-hmm. How do I explain that to my kid? Sure. You know, how can I be supportive of Trump and then have him, if he goes to school and says, well, my dad is supportive of Trump. Well, how, you know, those are places where uh, leadership and politics, especially I sit there and it's like, Where's the pride in that person in that office in America? You know, and then you sit there and you back that down. It's like, well, maybe it isn't the best place. Well, why isn't it? You know, it's like. Yeah, I think I think one side tends to tends to stoop as low as the other side. Right. On both sides. Which is terrible. One side's far right, one far left, and they're both they're both stooping to the other side in some cases in ignorance to to make an uh, to, you know. To make an example of their 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 position, right? So how does that explain leadership, right? How, yeah, is no, that is not, that a is that a recipe for a good we, company? We, so we're terrible at understanding what leadership look like looks like, in my opinion, when it comes to electing people, and and, and we're terrible because we don't have a lot of examples, right, in my opinion, right, of great leadership, to say, wow, that's a great leader. Here's a here's a community organizer, never never had an employee in his life, and that's the person I want to be president of my country. I mean, that's I mean, you know, when you talk, you know, that, that that's. Again, it's hard to think that way, but I mean, I, I believe that we as as leaders in 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 business kind of understand. Hopefully, 
what gets us to where we've gotten. And we make a lot of mistakes. We're not the greatest leaders, right? But but we hopefully become pretty good leaders if we have people following us. If nobody's following us, we're probably not much of a leader. There's a lot to be said about making those mistakes and failing and communicating those failures as well. You know, I think that even in uh, negotiating with China, like, can we give them a win? We had a we made a very good deal. We we won the negotiation. Yeah. I mean, you can't win a nego. That's like basic stuff. And negotiation he, is breaking his, his arm, patting himself his, his on the meet, back. He's meeting somewhere in the middle. Support your right. team. Yeah. Support your team. You did a great job today. So proud of you. Like I, I thank my offensive line for keeping me safe back here while I make passes. Well, yeah, poor, poor leadership is. I mean, you know, great leadership is never taking credit. And I'm, and I'm and I'm guilty of that taking credit sometimes when I shouldn't right when I think it should be my credit I'll ta- I'll do that sometimes and I shouldn't right good leadership is not taking credit for the wins and 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 always taking accountability for the failures right that's good leadership and and you, we don't see it enough for sure and I and I, I think in our own in our own lives in our own businesses we can all get better at that you know and then so. can you can you accept failure enough. And then also have the ability to say, I'm being the bigger man. I'm being, I'm accepting of this and then not have the, have the ability to unpack that yourself personally so that you can move past it and know that that failure was because you set out and did it. Like you have to be accountable, but that's, that's to stomach. It is not always palatable. You know, you can only take so much loss and you want to sit there and be like, man, I, you know, he could have been better there, but you got to keep taking it like a man. You got to just keep, Taking the punches and bouncing back up. Yeah, losses got to be temp- temporary, right? And if you can, if you can look at them always as temporary losses in learn in learning experiences, you do okay with that. And you're going to be a lot smarter than the guy that 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 gets defeated in that loss and and can't get back up. So, um, okay. So, uh, Q, what uh, you got? You got anything else to throw Man. at this guy? We we got a lot out of him, didn't we? <laughs> I got a lot my, of I, lot of juice out of this orange. Hey. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I got some true takeaways too, man. It's, it's actually pretty good. Ryan, you're 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 a massive, you're an amazing guy. Like one of the things he said out here is like, well, he even started off. There's nothing better than a chip on your shoulder. I mean, and that's extremely true when it comes to wanting to be successful. Just wanting to be anything. I guess that's where the work ethic starts at, right? Mm-hmm. Or even uh, one thing you said too is put the leverage out there and take a chance. You know, holy cow. I mean, if you think about it, that's the opportunity to gamble, but educated gambling, as you all kind of said it. Um, the person at my, at 9 million sometimes won't be the person to get you to 47 million. That was good because mm-hmm. it lets yeah. you think about, okay, who do I have on my team now? Did we get to the highest level we could? Okay, we might need to kind of step up our game to the next level, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, start with the small stuff for impact. I think everybody wants to impact huge, but like you said, you you know, you're the president of the Lincolnshire uh, Sports Association. Sports with, yeah, so you're starting to wear it. It's <laughs> a big there. job right there. Yeah, I know it is. A lot of unhappy parents. Yeah, but dream big, start small. You know, that's what he's doing. So he can do it, and he's doing it quickly. Uh, but it, it, then it started to get obviously, if you get better, you know, roll the dice. Uh, gambling with enthusiasm and fun, and obviously you did that a lot of your life. Uh, but more importantly, celebrate with loss, cel- celebrate the losses. And even as an entrepreneur, I've seen both of you all. Um, you maybe have some losses, but the way that you all think about them is the reason why, in my opinion, why y'all still succeed. Because a lot of people look at losses as a different way. But more importantly, I think it's that this is the catalyst for you for you all on this podcast. Don't invest in Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> Invest in people, right? <laughs> Invest in people. And um, we see you do that every single day, Ryan. I'm so thoughtful. I'm so thankful, should I say, and grateful that you're in my inner, cir- inner circle, man. So it's pretty cool. And, um, and uh, yeah, I'm actually, if I could just put you 
in Gary, like in a in a in a if I could formulate, make sure I had both of you all in my DNA, I'd be a good person. Boy, you know? So it's pretty cool. You need some safety valves there for sure. <laughs> There's a reason why we're here. I mean, you're, you're a large part of me being here today. So I hope that, you know, when you I hope you take away something from that as well yeah, for man, yourself personally. Always. I'm excited to come over to your house again. Play some hoops whenever yeah. you're ready. Well, Ryan, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you being here. It's a, it's, it's an awesome, uh, another awesome Ditch Digger episode, and, and we appreciate you being the star of it. And Jacob, thanks for being here, and thanks for keeping his butt straight here going forward. <laughs> I appreciate it. He he, he needs the, the uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the governor. He needs a governor on this throttle, right? And I believe you're going to like be the that. governor on a golf cart. There you go. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay, for speed, right. for, yeah. speed. for speed. I get it. I get yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. I can do that. I can do that. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank I you. appreciate your time. And we'll see you all next time on Ditch Diggers CEO. See ya. If you enjoy this show, please share it with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck rolling down highways. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man